Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. For your testimony and sharing it with us, Steve, that was a wonderful gift to us. I am excited to preach to you this morning. Uh, All right, ready? If you have a Bible, open to the book of Judges in chapter 16. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Judges in chapter 16. Uh, I read a book good. I read a book years ago that uh, was very helpful to me. It was by a well-known business author. You may have heard of him or read this book. The book is called How the Mighty Fall. And the book was uh, a story about how great companies collapse into whatever that was. Uh, it's the story of how you like you used to go buy CDs at like Tower Records and now it doesn't exist anymore. These like how does it go like this and like this? It, it, history tells us that no matter how impossible it seems right now, that one day people will be talking about remember when you used to order everything on Amazon. That's what this book is about. And the writer uh, found five stages of decline. Uh, the first one being hubris born of success. Successful people think they're going to keep on being successful even when they start doing things that aren't going to be helpful. And what was notable to me is that in the first few stages of decline, things are still going up so that to the outside observer, things look like they're going better even while they're starting to go worse. Why are we talking about this today? This is uh, what the story of Samson is like. I've been preaching to, about him for a few weeks to you. Today we're in Judges chapter 16. I hope you'll turn there. Samson has kept on moving up, we talked about that last week, even while he's been making the wrong choices. Things look to the outside, like no matter what this guy does, he keeps on winning the fight, he keeps on winning the battle, he keeps on killing the enemies, he keeps on being successful, but the choices that he's been making over and over are starting to rot him out from the inside. We're going to see uh, what happens to him today. Uh, I'm in Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Uh, it says, Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts. He pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Pause. So uh, this is Samson at his most um, irrational superhero-like person. What he does here, you'd have to understand the geography intuitively to know, is like he uh, picks up the gate of the city, which probably weighed over 1,000 pounds, and it says that he carried it, uh, what that description there means is that he carried it 40 miles uphill. So 
if right after the service, like one or two, you wanted to grab onto the good news truck and carry it to Lake Michigan, that's roughly about what Samson is doing here. It's pointing again to this divide that is, encompasses his whole story in life, which is that he makes these horrible choices and keeps being able to do these irrational things. Samson is going down here uh, in his previous illicit relationships even though his appetite for sexual fulfillment was so strong, he still at least had the pretense that he cared about the person. That's gone now. He's with a prostitute. He's also in Gaza, which is as far from his spiritual and geographical home as possible. He's like at a full what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas weekend kind of mode or mentality. What we're seeing in Samson is someone with unmanaged appetites. That's what I want to talk to you about today. An unmanaged appetite is when a good thing becomes a bad thing through an obsessive reaching for more. Samson's life is ultimately, you'll know this now, you'll see it happen in the text, destroyed by his inability to manage his appetites for sexuality and anger. Samson may be able to uproot uh, the gates of a major city and carry it 40 miles uphill, but he cannot withstand his instincts and desires towards a woman. The question is ringing out in these first few verses of the text, how long will God allow this? And it can become easy to see what unmanaged appetites do to someone else and not pay attention to what they do to me. That's what we're hoping to aim at in these few minutes that we have together. So that's a little kind of pre-story to the main story that's in front of us, verse 4. It says this, after this, uh, Samson loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, and her name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Notice here that Samson, whose life was oriented around transactional relationships, has as the kids would say, caught feelings for a woman who is also starting a transactional relationship. From the very start when we, meet, when we meet Delilah, they're like, hey, you're a pretty girl. He's into you. Well, how about this? Give him what he wants, and while you're giving him what he wants, try to find out the secret. And if you find out the secret, what do they say? We'll give you 1,100 shekels. Okay, there's five kings. Uh, there's five Philistine kings, and they offer 1,100 shekels. You might be like, what does that mean? Uh, the average... Earnings in a year, roughly around this time, was about 10 shekels for one year's wages. So when five kings are each offering her 1,100 shekels, that's approximate uh, in today's numbers, if you do the math, which I spent quite a while on trying to figure out properly, to something like $33 million is what she's being offered to use her sexuality to get after this secret. It's interesting because the text doesn't describe there being any like uncertainty on her part, it's presented like this is what they told her to do, and she said, sounds great. Notice what the people of uh, the Philistine kings want to do to Samson. There's four verbs there. They want to discover his great strength so that they can overpower him, bind him, and torture him. That's what your appetites want to do to you. They want to overpower you, to bind you, and to torture you. So Delilah, verse 6, said to Samson, please tell me, where your great strength lies, and how might you be bound so that one could subdue you? One, unmanaged appetites take us to places and people we can't handle. 
unmanaged appetites put us into situations that we can't handle on our own. It's obvious, I think, that Samson, if it was just some guy asking him, would kill the guy and then ask the question, I wonder why he's bothering me with that. We've been through this before. Samson, this already happened once in his life with another woman, that the secret of where does your strength come from is something that he is supposed to guard carefully and closely because of the vow that he made to God. And he knows on some level and understands that if the secret of my strength comes out, the secret of my strength can be destroyed and this thing that is special in me can be gone. Yet the power of his appetite for this woman blinds him to what should have been so obvious. Uh, some appetites are obviously more addictive by nature, but I made a chart just so we can all be on the same page. Here's a whole bunch of ideas and thoughts that I came up with. These might be the kind of appetites that you have in your life or you're struggling with. Some of them are more in a church setting, uh, obvious in their intensity by nature, but some of the maybe less salacious ones can be just as damaging. It's incredible what people do to hurt themselves and others because of this intense need that they have to feel safe. It's incredible the things that people will ignore because of their desire for financial stability or security. Some people turn their backs on almost everything they care about because their appetite for more leisure time is so important or a better car or a... Maybe you can find yourself there. So Samson, back to the text, says to her, all right, so there's, this is going to happen three times. He says... You know what, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that haven't been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. It's kind of like, I don't know, put some rubber bands around me. The lords of the Philistines brought up to her, then it says, verse 8, seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. So just like, for a second, pause. So she's waiting till the intimate moment to ask the question she's trying to find the answer to. And now we find out there's some like dudes hanging out in the closet waiting to come after him. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now I'm not saying that I've always made uh, all the best choices and the people to hang out with. In fact, a few of the people you may see wandering around with me are people I've been trying to get rid of for years. <laughs> they usually come in the second service if they come at all. <laughs> I don't know what kind of relationships you've been in in your life. But I would say, like, warning flag-wise, red flag-wise, someone asked me, like, kind of the secret or what's the most important to me, and I told them, and then they tried to use that to kill me, and these guys were here, and, like, they were trying to kill me. I would say, like, most reasonable, rational well-thinking people would be like, Delilah, you're cute, it's been real, but we need a hard break here. So I'm blocking your number, I'm like archiving all the pictures of us on my Instagram account, I'm just pretending that you never existed and I'm going on to the next thing. Looking at it rationally, but Samson, he can't manage whatever's going on. So then Delilah, verse 10, says to Samson, behold, you've mocked me and told me lies. Pause there. Isn't it amazing how uh, toxic people can always make it the other person's fault? It's pretty good there. She's like, hey, the thing where I was like trying to kill you and all that, 
jerk. You didn't tell me the truth about how I could kill you. She must have been really pretty to pull that one off. I, Please tell me how you might be bound, she says. And he says to her, okay, fine. If they bind me with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread, too. Then Delilah said to Samson, third time, until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell you, tell me how you might be bound. The text uh, here in the Bible wants you to understand the point so much that it's using almost the exact same words and phrases over and over so that even a blockhead can't miss it. And he said to her, verse 13, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the, with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin and the loom and the web. Ah, backwards now to go forwards. So the reason why this is all happening, this isn't like a fairy tale, but Samson was special. We learned a few weeks ago that from his birth, his parents were told that he was going to be a special kid, not like other people, that he had this vow that he was supposed to live under. And the vow that he was supposed to live under was the secret to his strength. The vow had three parts to it. He was supposed to never eat alcohol, never touch anything that was dead, never let his hair or his beard be cut. We saw last week that he broke the alcohol part. He broke the never touch anything that's dead. So this last thing kind of holding up this vow that he had made is that his hair and his beard were never supposed to be cut. And you can see here the progression. He starts off goofing around with this like bowstrings and then to ropes. Now by the third time that she asks, he's on to the right topic, his hair, just hasn't told the complete truth yet. I don't know like what is all going on with all that. Like when I see people doing the hair and like the braids, I like get really confused and walk away from that as fast as possible. But she spent quite a bit of time putting these seven pieces of his hair together that still didn't amount to anything. But you can see if you're watching, it's slowly progressing closer and closer. What does it say? It says that unmanaged appetites slowly become bigger and harder to harness. You start out thinking you're in control of the thing and slowly don't realize that the thing has taken control of you. People who say my family is the most important thing to me and are still answering emails at 10 o'clock on a weeknight when their kids are trying to get their attention haven't been able to manage their appetite effectively. People who are constantly in conflict with the people close to them about how much they're drinking but always say it's the other person that's being too tight, too Christiany, too whatever, are missing that their appetite, because it's unmanaged, do you see it, is slowly becoming bigger and harder to harness. And the reason why this happens, this is a quote that's helpful to me, is that appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. This is what's hard about appetites. Like, um, I'm not a... I'm not like a big fantasy comic book movie kind of person. It's not really my thing. Maybe it's your thing. No problem. No judge. I mean, it's not as cool as sports, but whatever. No judge. No judge. I'm kind of judging, but no judge. But I, uh, my younger brother was really, really into, is really into all that stuff. And I remember like this one time he convinced me to watch Star Wars. And uh, like the original, you know, whatever. And we watched it and I was like, all right, I've been a good brother. I've seen Star Wars. 
whatever appetite that I had to be a good brother now satisfied, I will never need to see it. Again, I'm just, I'm good. You know, like I'm good, you know? I never wake up and I'm like, I really want to watch Avatar. That just never like comes into my, because it isn't an appetite that matters to me. But real appetites, and I'm using that word purposely because sometimes it's sinful things and sometimes it's things that are good for us, but not when they're not kept moderated. They're never fully and finally satisfied. You can go to like the Brazilian steakhouse and go in on a meal that would like shock and shame anyone who was paying close attention and by the same time tomorrow be hungry again. I think we can see it. Which is why, the quote continues, the more that we feed our appetites, instead of becoming satisfied, the more we feed them, the more they demand. So how is Samson in the process here, now that he's gotten to the theme now that he's gotten to the theme of his hair, how is he so obviously driving his car off a cliff yet can't see it? Well, the text continues, I'll show you. So then she said to him, how can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. There's a joke there about how good a woman is at getting what she wants, but I'll just leave that unsaid. And he told her then all his heart, verse 17, and said to her, a razor's never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God for my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Here in this verse, Samson disabuses us of the notion that he is maybe merely ignorant. He is able to say with very much clarity, no, I see it. I'm on this like last shot, and if my head gets shaved, I'm going to be like any other man. And he's able to articulate that out loud by saying it to a person he knows is going to do it. To him. Why? Because unmanaged appetites blind me to anything other than more. Samson's problem with his vow is not that he is much, not as much that he's willingly violating it, he simply doesn't take it seriously. It's a toy to be played with. We see here that Samson understands his theological, his spiritual calling. But in this verse, Samson refers to God by his generic name, Elohim, rather than the name Yahweh. It's the idea that he knows about a God that he doesn't know intimately. Unmanaged appetites blind me to anything other than more. Whatever was the, the intensity of the physical connection that Samson felt with this woman, it was so powerful to him that he was willing to let his whole life be destroyed for the thought of continuing with it. And if you've ever had someone in your life who struggles with addiction, or ever been someone who struggles with addiction, this is the point where it becomes very, very hard to empathize and understand. Because we think of it like I, you remember those little, uh, we've used them here before, those little, uh, things where you can weigh how much is on either side of something. Or maybe when you were a kid, a teenager, you used to in your notebook write like a pro and con list of a 
person that you had a crush on or a decision that you were trying to make. And we think of decisions as something that are made through logic, right? Like, so I'm really in a hurry right now, so I'm gonna kind of ish go through this red light, but I'm in such a hurry that the 100 bucks that I may have to pay later is worth it, is a decision that I sometimes make. It, sorry, no. But when a person has let their appetites grow to a certain point, they have lost, through their own choice, the ability to deal with things through logic. It is now only coming through this instinctual desire that nothing else in the universe exists or matters other than getting this thing that I want. And again, it is easy for us in church to look at other people who have more obvious versions of this struggle with judgment and not see how many people are doing the same thing just in a more palatable Christian-y kind of way. So he says to her, I see it. If my hair gets shaved, it's curtains for me. Unmanaged appetites blind me to anything other than more. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come on, he's told me all his heart. Which, pause again. She must have been a pretty convincing girl, because this is the fourth time. She's like, hey, come like hide in the closet in my room, and then, you know, whatever, you can come and take the guy down. But he, she managed to get them up there again. And then the lords of the Philistines came up. This is how confident Delilah was. Do you see it? Before they even had Samson with no more strength, they already put the money in her hands. So she made Samson sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. This is one of the things about unmanaged appetites is you can fool yourself into thinking that there's some connection there. Your appetite doesn't care anything about you. You see it? She starts to torment him and his strength left him. Then she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He's still operating with, like I said at the beginning, the hubris that my success in the past is gonna mean continued success in the future. And even though he has so foolishly allowed himself to be destroyed, he thinks in his head, his instinct is, it's going to be just fine. Like the time I killed all those guys with the jawbone, or like the time I caught all those foxes and tied their tails together, or like the time I carried the gate, or like all the stuff maybe we didn't even know about in the story. Like all the times I've used my God-given strength to make things work out for me, I'm going to do the same thing. Because he had been trusting in the gift rather than showing respect for the giver. Because his thing that he cared about was what God had given him, not the God who had given it to him. So it says that the Philistines seized him, and gouged out his eyes, and brought him down. There's something right there. Just note that Samson's eyes are what got him into trouble in the first place, and that's the thing that was immediately destroyed. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground mill at the prison. That was the lowest job in all of society then is helping to make food. Unmanaged appetites will eventually demolish what I care about most. My 
unwillingness, inability, struggle. Now remember how we defined it at the beginning. An unmanaged appetite is usually when a good thing becomes a bad thing through an obsessive reaching for more. So before we push this through the finish line, let's just remember there's nothing wrong with wanting your kids to be healthy and to succeed unless that becomes the only thing that matters to you. And eventually it's going to demolish a whole bunch of other stuff that you care about, including, sadly, them. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful in your job or storing up security for the future or having a fulfilling relationship sexually and otherwise. Or There's nothing wrong. But when we allow our desire for a certain thing to become slowly something we can't manage, it takes us places we can't go, it's, we don't want to go, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, eventually it demolishes what I care about most. There's no way that when Samson was down in that prison, not able to see and with no strength, he would have said the relationship with Delilah was worth it. You can just imagine that, like, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, when you get on, like, a little inner monologue that you keep saying to yourself over and over and over, can't you just imagine him being like, I, would, I could have had any girl. I could have gone any direction. I mean, at the first time, the second time, I thought, how did I not see it? How did I not? How did I not? And he probably was doing that thing that we sometimes do to ourselves where he was, like, rehearsing how sorry he meant he was to himself because he felt so stupid, he felt so wrong. He felt like, how did I, how did I, how did I allow this to happen? How did I? Well, it's because of an unmanaged appetite. Uh, you could say it this way. Um, I think this is scriptural. The fool doesn't fear till he falls. He can't see it till the consequences come rolling in. He says his instinct is, I will go out at other times, just like I did the other times, and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Now we're going to finish the story of Samson. It says in verse 22 that the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's beautiful foreshadowing. Uh, the foreshadowing is good news because there are, I'm sure, people in the room today that are like, this is super cool and super helpful, but I could have used this a while ago. I'm already kind of like past the point, and I'm just sitting here in the middle of a pile of rocks. So glad I came to church for you to remind me the disaster that I've fallen into, but what now, Pastor, you may be thinking. So there's the warning, but then there's also this part. Uh, so the lords of the Philistines, it says, they gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. The reason they didn't kill Samson is so they could make fun of him. You can imagine that. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he, he entertained people at this big party. As best as we can figure what that means is they had him like walk around the room and trip over stuff because he couldn't see. They made him stand between the pillars of the giant house they were in, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord. This is the first time we ever see him talking to God in a meaningful way and said, O Lord God, Please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house 
rested and he leaned his weight against him, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. So this is the the culmination, not just of the life of Samson, but also the culmination of the story of Judges. We've studied this for a lot of weeks. You may have been here for a lot of them. You may have been here with very few of them. But we have a couple minutes left, and this is very important, so I'm hoping you'll track with me here. We've been learning about this cycle that we go through as people Uh, that Samson's life is a perfect example of it, looks like this. Sin, which an unmanaged appetite is, always leads us into oppression. What is so sad about the oppression that we end up into most often is that it's something that we cause ourselves. It's one thing to be locked up in a jail cell for no reason. It's another thing to walk in there and put the chains on yourself. That's how often, that's what sin does to us and that's what we do ourselves. This is the closest Samson gets to repentance here when he asks God for his help and acknowledges that God was the source of his strength. And because God is not like us, when we come to him with honesty, no matter how many times we've fallen or fallen short, he delivers us. And that deliverance brings about peace. That's the story of the whole book of Judges. It's the story of Samson. And this is where Samson's life ends. And it leaves us with some confusing questions like, He decides to kill himself in service of killing his enemies, and God appears to bless that. I don't have a box to put that in for you except for to say that it's messy and confusing. It's very clear that the story was supposed to go like this. God was going to destroy his enemies. The only question was, was Samson going to do it? Maybe let me say it a different way. Samson should have been standing on the pile of rubble with all of God's enemies underneath. But Samson ended up underneath the pile alongside them. What do we see? One, God's purposes will always be accomplished. Don't let yourself think for one second that like your screw up can mean that God isn't going to get what done what he wants to get done. God always accomplishes his purposes. He always accomplishes his purposes. He always gets done what he wants to get done. The question is, Are we going to manage our appetites in a way that allow us to play the amazing part of being... Uh, a participant in God accomplishing his work, or is our failure to manage ourselves going to put us alongside underneath the rubble while God continues to accomplish his purposes? So it's easy to kind of write Samson off as like one of those um, too much, too soon, cautionary tale foolish people. But what's very confusing about a story is that if you read along in your Bible long enough, you'll eventually find yourselves in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. The book of Hebrews in chapter 11 is kind of like the writer there is giving the history of from Adam and Eve all the way till the end of the New Testament. Here's all the people that did amazing things. It's like a it's like a hall of fame. You, know, you, like you walk into a, a business or a high school, they have the plaque on the wall. Here's all the people that did the amazing things. And crazy enough, our guy Samson finds his way into the list of people that God used to do incredible things. It's right here. This is when the writers get into the culmination. He's like, so what else am I supposed to say, right? Like, I don't have enough time to tell you, but there was Gideon, there was Barak, there was Samson, there was Jephthah, there was David, there was Samuel, there was the prophets. There's our guy Samson, two names over from the man after God's own heart, David. And it says that these people, through faith, they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promise, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, 
That's a bunch of the stuff that we've seen here in Judges. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Samson as listed, is listed as one of the people that God used for greatness, even though to read his story, there is almost nothing redeeming about him at all. Okay, a couple important things. There's so many things to try to put in one place. So one is this. We tend to see ourselves as much more important in the story of what God's doing or in the world around us than we really are. What's actually incredible is no matter how many times you think you've messed up that family that you're trying to raise, God's going to accomplish his purpose in your family anyway. No matter how many times you're like, I've, I've just, okay, this one was too big, this was too big of a screw up, there's no good future from here. God in his love and his kindness and his grace, like the text says, his hair started to grow again, there is new mercy and new grace no matter how many times you fall. Now some people use that as an excuse to like, Keep on, like Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and 7, to keep on sinning because, like, I don't know, I just keep on doing the thing I'm doing because grace is going to keep on going. And there is an element of truth to that, but that shows a complete misunderstanding of grace because what we're supposed to do is when we see these warning signs, like the story I'm telling you this morning, yes, it is true that underneath the rubble there is still grace from God. But what the person paying attention, what I'm hoping every person listening to me right now is seeing hearing and feeling is I've got to pay attention to the appetites in my life, the things that are strong in my desire. And I have to manage them and pay attention because if they grow too large, they're going to destroy what I really care about. And we, uh, in the culture that we live in, we tend to find rules and uh, like any really time that anyone tries to restrict us in any way, we tend to view it as wrong or unfair or anti-freedom uh, and I'm going to stick it to the man by doing what I want to do and it's still going to work out anyway. Fine. But God's warnings are an incredible grace to you and to me. If we're paying attention to God's warnings, it shows us what paths not to take uh, because the paths that we don't want to take are going to end up hurting ourselves. I have one story and then I want to finish. Uh, I remember uh, during COVID, like that peak lockdown time, like three years ago, we were like a lot of families. We were desperate to find things to do to keep our kids occupied and paying attention, just like doing anything other than driving us and each other crazy. I don't know if anyone else remembers that. Maybe that just me reminding you is going to send you to counseling. I understand. <laughs> but I remember this one day, uh, we were living in California, and Kristen had this idea. She's, uh, she's like, I'm going to take the kids on a hike. And I was like, okay, I got to work this morning. Uh, I didn't really, but like, you know, I just didn't want to go on the hike or whatever. And uh, she took the kids up a little ways away to the mountains to go on a hike. And uh, they were like, you know, it, like so out into the wherever that they, they went off to find friends. And, you know, I didn't even know where they were for a couple hours. And then they called me to say, uh, and I always know that a real disaster has happened when Kristen is like overwhelmingly laughing, when she's like laughing really, 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 really hard. That means that whatever happened was such a disaster that she just can't stop herself. And she was like, we didn't pay enough attention. We went on a... Uh, they called it an experienced hike. And it got so steep and like so intense that I didn't know if we were going to make it out. And the, we didn't have enough water and the kids were freaking out. And like this, it was one of those things where it started out as a nice idea and the whole thing was a total disaster. And the whole disaster all came because we didn't spend enough time just like at the beginning watching, here it is, 
watching the signs, paying attention to what people who came before had figured out. By running in without paying attention, we cause damage in a stupid, funny way that doesn't matter at all today. If we don't watch the signs, if we don't pay attention to the signals, if we don't see what happens to people like Samson, God wanted to use him in incredible ways that he forfeited because he allowed his appetites to matter to him more than his purposes. And I want better for you. God wants better for you. God wants more for you. This is not, this is a choice. This is not a destiny that you are stuck in and you can do nothing about. It's not too late. People say sometimes, like, how do I know if I've gone too far? The way that you'll know if you've gone too far is right now you're not even listening or paying attention to the words that I'm saying. If you're still tracking along, and if the Holy Spirit still has enough of a beat in your heart for you to be able to say, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta fix this, I gotta shift this, I gotta do this. If you still have that internal thing going on, then God is still moving inside of you, and it is not too late to keep yourself from disaster. So simple question, what will you choose today? Simple question. I'm going to pray. Why don't you bow your head? So, uh, it's, uh, we're just right here and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. One of the interesting things about unmanaged appetites is they have a lot more to do with what's going on sometimes inside of us. And so only you really know. What is the thing that you're reaching for, chasing for, thinking about, fixating on? The people around you may have an idea, but only you really know. And I'm asking that, Lord, would you allow the Holy Spirit to move around the room to every seat, in every row, to every heart, to every person. Would you pour your grace upon us by allowing us to see the warning signs that are here? Would you pour your grace upon us by giving us hope for a fresh start? Would you pour your grace upon us, Lord, by allowing us to stop lying to ourselves and to you and to be honest about how close to the edge of disaster we might be? Lord, would you flood courage into people's hearts to change that schedule, block that phone number, get away from that person, be honest about how bad the habit really is, to trust you enough to let your will and your way be what we're paying attention to, not our sense of I'm gonna control by getting what I want. Lord, uh, we need your help so much, and I'm asking you to give it now. Help us to be honest, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, if you agree, please say amen. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.